0: Welcome again to Lakeshore. We are so happy that you've connected with us today. You may remember me telling you about a report of an older lady that was pulled over by a police officer for speeding. When uh, the officer came to the uh, car window of the woman, he said, uh, "Ma'am, you are speeding. She said, oh, I see. He said, can I see your license, please? The woman said, well, I'd give it to you, but I don't have one. He said, well, you don't have one? She said, no, I lost it four years ago for drunk driving. He said, I see. Uh, can you get your vehicle registration out for me? I'd like to see that. She says, no, I can't do that. He said, well, why not? She said, well, I stole this car. She said, Sto-. He said, stole it? She said, yes, I-, I stole it and I killed and hacked up the owner. The officer said, what? You did what? She said, yeah, his body parts are in plastic bags in the trunk. Uh, you can look if you want to see it. Well, the officer looked at the woman slowly and he backed away from the car and he went back to his car. He said, whatever you do, don't go anywhere. And he called for backup. He he just thought he had a terrible situation on his hands. Within five minutes, a whole bunch of police cars circled the woman's car. And and one of the senior officers got out to take charge of the situation and he approached the car with his gun drawn and said, ma'am, my officer tells me that, uh, that you've uh, been giving him some answers that aren't really uh, satisfactory for him. I need to get clear on what's going on here. Would you step out of the car, please? She said, sure, officer. I'll be glad to. So she got out of the car and said, is there really a problem, officer? She said, yeah. He said, yes. Uh, The officer told me that you've stolen this car and that you murdered the owner. She said, stolen the car? Murdered the owner? Uh, that's not true at all. I don't understand what you're talking about. He said, yes, could you please open the trunk of your car? So she went around the back and opened up the trunk of the car. Nothing there, just an empty trunk. He said, is this your car, ma'am? She said, well, yes, it is. Here are the registration papers. And the officer was stunned because he didn't think she had those. One of my officers, he said, claims that you did not have a driver's license. Is that true? She says, No, no, I got my license. Here it is. And she pulled it out and gave it to him. And he looked at it, and everything was up to date. Everything was fine. He looked really puzzled. And he said to the woman, Thank you, ma'am. One of my officers told me that you didn't have a license, you stole this car, and that you murdered and hacked up the owner. The older woman looked at the officer and said, I bet that liar told you I was speeding, too. <laughs> Obviously, as we have examined this final week in this series of Hope for Everyone, we've been looking at all the events that led up to the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. And and here's the thing about all of the testimony we have in Scripture. The Bible just doesn't read like a lie. The fact that they so boldly began, began to proclaim Jesus as risen and living, and that they had seen him, and ate with him, and touched him, and now they're his his witnesses to everyone of the resurrection, it just doesn't read like a lie. So today, as we finish up the series, Hope for Everyone, we're going to be focusing on if the resurrection is true, and we believe it is, if the evidence supports it, and we believe it does, then how should that change our lives? What should be our response the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, we're going to go to scripture and look at the response of those at the time who saw Jesus and reported his resurrection. How did they respond to the resurrection? And I want to look at three key responses. The first one is this: we need to learn, like they did, to stay focused on what is ahead now. Back in John chapter 14, before Jesus went to the cross, he's preparing his disciples for what's about to happen. And he gave them some words of encouragement that I'm sure came back to their hearts and minds after they saw Jesus. Here's what he told them, John 14, beginning with verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus knew they were going to struggle through the time of his being arrested and being beaten and nailed to that cross and then being placed in that tomb. It It was going to crush them. But he wanted to give them some hope, something to look forward to, something to focus on beyond what they were going through. So he reminded them, you believe in God, right? Well, I want you to know you can believe in me too. And here's what I'm telling you. This is the truth. In my father's house, there are many rooms. He's saying there's room for everybody in my father's house. There, and he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, they didn't understand that in order to go prepare that place, he had to go to the cross. He had to go to the grave. And then out, out of the grave again, victoriously, they didn't fully grasp all of that yet. We have the benefit of hindsight, of knowing that's where Jesus was going to prepare this place. You see, he had to remove the sin barrier that would keep us from dwelling with him in the Father's house. And so his payment on the cross, that's where he was going. He was going to take care of that for us so that he could then come back and get us and take us to be with him there forever. So when we think about our response to the resurrection, one of the responses should be, that means we can look forward to something magnificent, something wonderful. Jesus conquered sin and conquered death, and because of that, we can look forward to our own resurrection, the time where Jesus is going to come back and get us and take us to be with him forever. In Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke, writes the book of Acts, and he begins that book this way. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. So he reminds Theophilus of the gospel that he had written, the gospel of Luke, where he talked about the life and ministry of Jesus and all the miracles that he did leading right up to the time that he died on the cross and rose again. And then he reminds them in verse three, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Luke reminds us all that before Jesus ascended back to the Father, after his resurrection now, he's visiting with his disciples and teaching them, and he's telling them, you need to look ahead now to what's coming, something that's a mission that I have for you, that that you'll be empowered to begin. So wait in Jerusalem until you receive this power from the Holy Spirit, and then here's what's going to happen. You are going to begin to be my witnesses. It's going to start in Jerusalem, and then it's going to spread to Judea and Samaria and to the rest of the world. And he tells them, I want you to be focused ahead on that mission. And he reminds them, the angel reminds them then, after Jesus ascends, that this same Jesus they saw go up into heaven is going to return, just like he said. So he gives them something to look forward to, the mission that he's calling them to, And they need to be doing that mission, sold out to that mission, until they see the fulfilled promise of Jesus coming back again. That mission is referred to also in what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Again, Jesus is speaking to them before he ascends back to the Father. And in verse 18, it says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So he's teaching us, he's teaching them, that during these days ahead, what we need to be focused on, we have a mission. It's called the great co-mission. It's a mission we are to carry out together with the presence of, of God, and his power, and his spirit. The mission is to go and make disciples, to baptize them, and then to teach people to obey everything that he's commanded us. That's what a disciple does. And so the first principle is this. The first response to all of this is that we need to be focused on what God has ahead for us. Since Jesus raised from the dead, we are now in the last age of the earth. And during this last age, as we wait for Jesus to come back, we have the most important job in the world to do. We are to go and make disciples of all people and teach them how to follow the teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus wants to bring as many to the Father's house as we can bring. He wants them all to come to know him and follow him to that place that he has prepared in advance for all of us to go. There's room for everybody. So first, we need to stay focused on what is what is ahead, that commission, that great commission that he's given us. The second thing we need to do in response that these disciples did is we need to learn to stay encouraged in the face of trouble. See this last age that we're in, he made it clear there's going to be problems, there's going to be struggle. There's going to be there's going to be these light and momentary struggles, he calls them, and they don't seem that way always to us. Paul wrote about them in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning with verse 16, he said this therefore we do not want you to lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We know trouble in this world, don't we? Right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and it's hard, and we're being asked to make sacrifices. We're being asked to do life differently than what we normally do life, and and we see people getting sick. We've seen the the numbers of people that have died from this virus, but the truth is all throughout this age there have been troubles, but he calls these troubles, listen to his terminology, light and momentary troubles. It doesn't feel light right now, does it? If you've been in quarantine for a while now, you've not been able to to be with family or friends like you want to. We haven't been able to, to be together in our building as a church. All of these things, they don't always seem light, do they? And he's not trying to make light of our trouble in that passage. That's not what he's doing. He's saying they're light in the sense of they're temporary, they're momentary, And they're light in the sense that we don't have to bear it all on our own. We're not alone in this. We have his strength, his power. If we're yoked with him, he takes the weight of our burden upon him. As long as we stay closely connected to Jesus, we go through these things with him, helping us bear the weight of the trouble. So as we think about what we do in response to the resurrection, we need to remember this is the same Jesus who conquered death itself. The worst thing that can happen to us with this pandemic or with any of the troubles in this world is that it brings death. And you know what? Christ has even borne the weight of death upon himself. And he has had victory even over death. So partnered with Jesus, connected to Jesus, we can face even the worst of things. And comparatively, when we think of what God has waiting for us, that place he has prepared for us, where there's no more sickness, no more death, no more sorrow, none of those things of the trouble of this world, they won't exist anymore compared to that. We can honestly say these are light and momentary, temporary troubles. And when we keep the right perspective, then we can live, live in these last days with the hope that we have in the resurrected Lord. And Paul reminds us of another reason to have hope in Romans 8, beginning with verse 38. He tells us this, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, neither height nor depth or pandemics, I just threw that one in, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to stay focused on having the hope that he gives us the ability to have in the face of the light and momentary troubles of this world. And even when they don't feel light, we can take the weight of those burdens and yoke together with Jesus, we can allow him to help us bear up under the weight that we're feeling. So we need to stay focused on what is ahead, and we need to stay encouraged in the face of trouble. And there's a third thing we need to do in response to the resurrection that these disciples did. And that is we need to learn to stay invested in the things that will last. The things that are not temporary things. In Colossians 3, beginning with verse 1, Paul wrote these words. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. So he's writing to Christians, people who have already uh, made the decision to follow Jesus as disciples of Jesus. and, And we're connected into his resurrection power there. And since we've been raised with Christ, he says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What a great reminder. Jesus didn't stay in that tomb. He he rose from the dead. They saw him. They spent time with him. He ascended back to the Father. And where's Jesus now? He's at the right hand of the Father. He is seated on his throne in power, reigning there right now for us. So he says, set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Here's the assurance. If we keep our minds, our hearts focused, on the things above, on the things of the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of God, with Jesus reigning in that kingdom as Lord and Savior at the right hand of the Father, when we understand that we have buried our old life and and put it to death, and now we're living with Jesus, for Jesus, then we are citizens of a kingdom where we can look forward to the time when Christ will appear again to keep that promise that he made to take us to that place he has prepared for us. We will appear with him in glory. That word translated glory means all the majesty and the glory of God will be there. We'll be in the presence of the glory of God himself. We need to stay invested and in, focused on the things that will truly last. The terminology that Paul uses in Colossians is, is reminiscent of another passage where he talked about our being buried with Christ. In Romans 6, he talks about our baptism as Christ's followers. See, when you make the decision to follow Jesus, he calls us to be obedient to being baptized, immersed, dumped in the water, and then raised up again out of the water. And he says it's important because it is is picturing an important, powerful thing that happens in that process. In Romans 6 and verse 3, he says this, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, understand The depth of what he's saying here. He's saying that our willingness to, in faith, turn from our sin and become obedient to what Christ has commanded us to do by being buried with him in baptism, that's where we are connected to the power of the death that he died for us on the cross. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that. In order that is a key phrase. He's saying, I don't want you just to be buried and die. That's not the point of this. That's not the, the purpose of this. The purpose is, is to connect with that death because of what that death does for us. It's because of the results of that death. So he says this. He says, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He's saying it is being it is by being connected to that death the price that Jesus paid there on the cross, that we can be united with him, not just in the death part of what he did, but in the resurrection part of what he did. You see, Jesus did die on that cross. He paid the price. The blood was shed, but he did that to lead us to the victory of the resurrection that came just three days later. We connect not only with his death and baptism, we connect with his resurrection. So he went on to say in verse five, For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, if we're united with him in his death, that's the payment that's been made in full for our sins. And when we get united with him in his death, here's what it does for us. It takes the sin away so that we now can be united with him in his resurrection, in the victory that he won for us over sin and death. Friends, if you've not yet made that decision to to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, to turn from your sin, to be obedient in baptism, you can make that decision today. You can follow through with that obedience in baptism at any time that you make that decision. It simply takes enough water for you to be dunked under the water. That's all. And you can do that even today. And if you need some help or some guidance or some instruction on that, all you have to do is contact us and we'll be happy to follow up with you and help guide you through that process. And if you've already been baptized into Christ, here's the thing. You're already connected not only to his death, you're already connected to his resurrection. You already have resurrection power in you. So moving forward from from this time on, we need to understand we've got to look ahead to what God has called us to. If we are in Christ, we have a mission. It's the most important mission in the world to go and make disciples of others so that they can come with us to that place Jesus has prepared for us. And moving ahead in the troubled world that we live in, we can face those troubles with hope and confidence and assurance because of the resurrection and we can keep our hearts and our minds focused on things above because we know that this is not all there is. The resurrection proves that our lives do not end here. So whatever troubles we've had, whatever struggles we've had to go through, they are temporary, momentary struggles. I love how Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 55, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But he didn't stop there. He said, as a result of that, here's what you need to do. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always. When? Always, in the face of a pandemic, yes. In the face of financial struggles, yes. In uncertainties, yes. In the face of marriage troubles, yes. In the face of divorce, yes. In the face of anything, any trouble in this world, stand firm. Always give yourselves fully to the things that really matter. He says, Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know that what you do for Jesus while you're on this earth in these last days, as we look forward to his coming, when you focus on and give your life and your resources and your talents and your energies to the things of the kingdom, you know your life will not have been lived in vain. And you know where your life will be leading to that place that Jesus has prepared for you. We want you to be with us in that place. Let's pray together. Father, as we prepare now, to have a time of remembrance of that communion meal that you went to the cross to provide the, 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 the meaning of that meal for us, the bread representing the body, the juice representing the blood. Father, help us to focus. Help us to remember that the resurrection means that we have every reason to have hope. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, our resurrected Lord. Amen.